Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 4. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses in this section. As you're turning there, I do want to um, announce that uh, or, or comment uh, this week the, the county is now in the, the orange um, category, uh, and the governor said that we're leading towards heading uh, to basically lifting all restrictions in June. Uh, on this, uh, as the leadership team uh, discusses how we're going to handle this, the, the immediate plan right now is to, to, to hold course um, as we've been holding outside. We have a great facility outside. Um, it's actually much larger than we, ha- we have inside, so we're able to accommodate more people out there. And we recognize that many people who have been uh, staying away out of caution, uh, for them to come back, uh, there's, uh, there's concerns there. And so we've made the decision that we're going to continue to, uh, to, to meet outside um, for, as, for as often as we can. Of course, if there are uh, winds, like high winds or, or rain or extreme heat, we will go ahead and move back inside. But our plan is to continue to hold course uh, with going outside. And so uh, if you are away and you've had your vaccine or you're feeling more comfortable about coming back, um, I just want to let you know that we, we are still meeting outside and there's, we have seats available. You can bring your own seat so you can be as socially distant as, as you'd like, yet still be within the fellowship of, of the body. And so we... Uh, we do look forward to seeing you when you make your way back here, uh, or if you don't live near us. I know there are a handful of people who are away, and it's not a matter of uh, COVID or no COVID. You're just away. So uh, we're grateful that you are here with us as we navigate our way through Galatians. Uh, with that, let's pray, and we'll look at Galatians chapter 4, the first 11 verses. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. As we continue our study of Galatians through this doctrinal section, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what is being said and the implications of it. Paul is making his case that the promise is far greater than the law, and the benefits of being under the promise are far greater than the benefits of being under the law. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to see how in Christ we have moved from slavery to sonship. And we pray, God, that you would help us to understand what it is that you have done for us uh, through Jesus' work on the cross. Again, Lord, we are so grateful for everything that you've done for us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental teachings of the world. But when the fullness of time came, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, saying, or crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. And Father, I do pray that you would help us, God, uh, to navigate this section. Uh, give us insight, give us clarity, and give us application. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand uh, this relationship that we have with you in Christ. And it's in his good name, I pray. All right, so, t- so today is a, it's a difficult section. It's, in one sense, it's straightforward. It's, it's, the message is clear. Um, the, the thrust of this passage is sort of, can be summarized in three sort of phrases. That's uh, from slavery to sonship, and then Paul's plea not for, them, for them not to slip back into slavery. Um, all based around the debate that he's been having, the discussion over the promise and the law, that the promise of the Abrahamic covenant is far greater than the, the Mosaic law, this, this temporary tool that God had given to point people to Christ. And I, I know that I'm encountering a, a difficult section when I go to the commentaries to sort of look for clarity over what's being said when many just sort of will skip over a handful of verses and it's like, ah, I'm in, I'm, I'm in for some trouble here. Um, we, the first thing I want to observe as we look at the passage is this is one of those sections where uh, as helpful as chapters and verses are to us, we need to remind ourselves that chapter and verses are, are not uh, ordained by God, that in the 1500s, a, a man placed the, these in here to help us navigate and to find sections in the scripture, but they aren't necessarily natural breaks. Sometimes they are very natural, um, that show a sort of a flow of thought. Other times, they sort of interrupt a flow of thought. And I, I would suggest that this is one such case to read the, this section sort of divorced from the previous six verses, it, it really hurts us. Paul is, is sort of can, making this case, and then he's expanding upon verses 23 through 29 in chapter 3. And let's just go ahead and reread those uh, to help us sort of find our, our baseline of where we are. And Paul writes in verse 23 of chapter 3, Uh, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. 
Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So the, the law is described as this guardian, like a jailer holding a person in custody, also as a tutor pointing somebody to Christ. And he says in verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to a promise. And so here we have this picture that before faith came, we were kept under custody of the law, that that it was to sort of expose our sin, show us. Ultimately, through that, it becomes a tutor leading us to Christ. Then we accept Christ, and we're, we're no longer in bondage to the law, but we're actually become children of God. And then from children of God, through what Christ has done on the cross, we see that we actually become descendants of Abraham and then actual heirs of of this promise. And so from that thought, Paul is going to give an illustration in the first two verses of chapter 4. He's going to illustrate and sort of highlight what he's speaking of. And this builds through chapter 4, this contrast, sort of Paul's sort of uh, where we end today, there's sort of this this agony in Paul's heart that these Galatian believers who aren't even Jewish are experiencing pressure from these Judaizers who are convincing them that they need to go back to the law in order to be right with God. And Paul is saying, why are you doing this? This is a lesser option. The, the option that God has provided for you in Christ is, is greater. You're heirs. You're a child. And so in verse 1 of chapter 4, this illustration that he makes, in these first two verses, he says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by the Father. Uh, this this whole week, I I've been sort of trying to pictured this illustration, and the best that I could imagine is sort of like royalty. And I've been thinking about the the British royal family. Um, Before the prince passed away on Friday, I had been sort of mulling this over and imagining sort of uh, the the children uh, who are in line to the throne, that, that they that you know they have it all mapped out who's the next heir or it's like two removed and so these uh you know assuming that everything goes when the queen dies there's a king that he's already an adult but then there are some children um and these children are are heirs uh, one of them is actually the future king assuming that he he lives to sort of see and accepts it like all, all of the stuff and so he's, he, he's an, an heir, and everything, the whole kingdom, is his as the future king. And so he's saying as long as the heir, not necessarily talking about royalty, but this is sort of what I am thinking in my, my mind. Um, now, as I say, as long as an heir is a child, so here is a child 
who um, everything at their home, all the property, it's going to be theirs. It's, it's, it's theirs effectively. But he says, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything, but is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. And so, so here's this heir. He's a child, and he can walk around the grounds of his house, and he's like, all of this is going to be mine sort of one day. It effectively is his. Uh, but in experience, like positionally it's his, but in experience it's not his yet. He hasn't come of age. And in his present state of being a child, as he walks around, even though everything is his, he's the future owner, uh, he is no different than a slave living within the property because he has guardians and managers often not related to him, just sort of staff sort of raising him and grooming him and preparing him for his future. And he experientially is just like one of them. He doesn't have the authority to do certain things or to to dictate what is to happen with the property that will be his one day. He owns everything but he's under the authority of others and his life is lived this way until the day that his father uh, determines that he is an adult. And this is something that's really difficult for our culture. Like in America, there's, uh, there's no sort of ceremony for coming of age. Thinking of the Jewish culture for bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, depending on if you're a boy or a, or a girl, that you reach a certain age, I think for, for boys at 13, sort of there's a big celebration where you are, your family and everybody acknowledges that before God, you now are accountable, that as you relate to the things of God, you are, um, you're a mature person, an adult, and you're responsible for your actions. I think for the girls, a little bit younger at 12, in Roman culture, there was the same thing in their, their toga, you know, the sheets that they would wear. An adult would have like an all-white toga, and apparently the, the children would have a little uh, like purple line across the toga. And there was a ceremony of this coming to age of when the child was no longer a child, but then was viewed as an adult. I know in uh, Mexican culture, I don't know if it, I think, I think it's Mexican culture, I don't know if it bro- goes into other countries, but when a, you know, a, a young lady turns 15, there's the big celebration of this like uh, coming of age. And in, in our culture, we don't really have that. It's kind of like, well, when you turn 18, the parents are no longer liable for you, but there's no real sort of ceremony. And so Paul makes this case that, that here, there's this picture of this, this, this child that's an heir, and he's no different from a slave in the house he, because he's under these guardians and managers until whatever date the father uh, determines. And so in verse 3, he says, now he relates this picture of this child being under custody of the managers and stewards, even though he's owner of all and he's, he's an heir. He says, so we... Two, when we, I love that Paul is, is placing himself with the Galatians. They are not Jewish. Paul is Jewish. The di- different sort of backgrounds. And I think Paul's going to bring in these, these two cultural backgrounds uh, into the same sort of reality 
within Christ. So we too, when we were children, we were held in bondage under the elementary principles of the world. He says, so we too, we, we, were, we were children. Now he's speaking spiritually. So he's saying we were children, meaning uh, apart from Christ, before their coming to faith in Christ, before they understood what Jesus had done to them. He says that we were in bondage. Uh, to the Jewish person, Paul, he was under the law and under this custody that he writes about at the end of uh, chapter 3. Um, this sort of, the, these lines are sort of crossed because of the context. The, the context is the Judaizers had come through in Paul's wake. They're, they're trying to take these Gentiles who had no connection to the Jewish law, and they were trying to bring them under the law's authority and that they needed to, to, to practice and live out everything that needed to be done in order to be right with God. But he says these elementary principles of the world, which would be this cast this wide net, that apart from Christ, even outside of the Jewish law, they were under the world system. Uh, before I was in Christ, I was under the world system, the world's thinking, the, uh, you know, in many ways, the American dream of trying to conquer and do as much as you can before you die. And he's saying that just like this picture, be, before um, you had come to know Christ, you were a child, and you were in bondage to these things. You were in bondage uh, to the law. You were in bondage to the world's system. The Baker exegetical commentary says this. Uh, it summarizes it in a really clear way of what Paul's trying to accomplish here, and I enjoyed it. It said, here in Galatians, he is pulling out all the rhetorical stops to try to convince the Galatians not to put themselves under that law by suggesting that, while quite different in basic ways from the pagan religions under which the Galatians once lived, the law, like those religions, belongs to a stage of religious experience that has been brought to an end with the coming of Christ." So he's saying, like, whatever your religious background, whether you're religious or not, you were in bondage to those things. But through Christ, you have become a child of God. You've become an heir. You've been set free, which is the case. Like, ultimately, this case is going to build slowly but surely until we get to chapter 5, verse 1, where he writes, for it is freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, ultimately pleading for us to to move into deeper relationship with our Lord uh, through the work of the cross. Now in verse 4 we read, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. And so this phrase, uh, the fullness of time. And so now Paul says, but when the fullness of time came, he's sort of looking uh, backwards to the dispensation of the law, that when humans were responsible sort of of being under the law, uh, he's going back to that time. At a certain point in history, 
referred to as the fullness of time, meaning the time in which the Messiah would arrive. So he says, but when the fullness of time came, so when for whatever reason, all the prophecies lined up, the time that God had determined, that God saw fit, for a whole number of reasons, we see that God sent his son. And so we see right here the father. We're going to see the dual nature of Jesus, fully God, fully man, known as the hypostatic union of Christ. So somehow Jesus is fully God, fully man. It blows my mind away. Like it's not something that we can quite fathom, but we see that God sent forth his son, sort of that Jesus existed before he was born, that he entered human existence, the born of a woman. So now we have the, the dual nature. The father is God. His time before his birth where he existed, he stepped into human history through this immaculate conception that where Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, born of a woman. And so now Jesus enters human history, and he enters human history under the Mosaic law. And this is the one individual in human history that actually lived under the law, fulfilled the law, did not violate anything in the law. He came out squeaky clean because he is sinless because of his dual nature, that his, his divine nature. He lived and walked and died under the law. He never sinned. He never violated anything. And in this, we see what he accomplished so that he might redeem those. And this word redeem, this concept of redemption is to buy somebody out of slavery and to sort of attain their freedom, that he might redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. This is amazing. So the fullness of time, that, that when, and when we think about it and we look at history, that Jesus came during a time following the diaspora. So the Jews had been scattered all around the world. There were synagogues all over the world. And then Alexander the Great under the Greek Empire, he uh, forced everyone to speak Koine Greek. So that was the universal language of the world. What, regardless of what your native tongue was, everybody had to live and function under Koine Greek. So language could go out everywhere and everybody could understand. He also came under the Roman Empire under Pax Romana, which is under the peace of Rome. So they provided peace. They provided freedom of religion. They had created what we know as the Roman roads. Excuse me. So the Roman roads. So... When Jesus came, there were roads that could take you all over the world. There was one language, Koine Greek. So not only did all roads lead everywhere, there was a universal language in the known world where everybody could understand. And then we have 
synagogues that are scattered. So the reception of people coming to share the good news about Jesus, could, it could spread so rapidly. And at that moment when information could spread like it had never been able to spread in human history before, the gospel was able to, to come forth and then to go out in rapid ways. And we see that Jesus' work on the cross, that's the ransom, that's the payment that it costs to pay the redemption fee that we would, could become adopted through faith, that we would be adopted as children, ultimately that we would become heirs. <clears throat> Verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. So there are two things within verse 6. There's the positional relationship that we have with God, but then there's also the experiential aspect that we have with God, that we can actually experience God, that we can have, in other words, a, a relationship with him. And so you are sons, because you are sons, past tense, based on the work that Jesus did on the cross, that we responded to his work on the cross uh, by faith, and that through that we become children of God. Then we're told that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so in Ephesians 1.13, we're told that after we believe that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit then indwells us. And this goes into the the experience or the experiential side of things, that there's an assurance of salvation. Not only are we told that we are positionally justified before God, but God has sent the Spirit to indwell us and to create this dynamic between us and God that we actually have relationship and we, we, we have assurance of this relationship and we're able to use the term Abba, Father, which in our vernacular, this is what we would call, like somebody would say, Daddy or Papa or something, a, a warm affection from a child to a father. You know, this week I think of my kids, if they crawl into bed with me and they just kind of snuggle up, there's, there's this relational aspect. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with them so that we may be glorified by, with him. And so here we have this, this relationship. John Stott continues on this, and he says, Thus God's purpose was not only to secure our sonship by his Son, but to assure us of it by his Spirit. He sent his Son that we might have the status of sonship, and he sent his Spirit that we might have an experience of it. So we have the status of sonship through the work of the cross. 
we have the experience of this relationship through the spirit that has been given to us as this down payment. And as Paul builds the life application commentary, just says it very simply, Paul almost seems to say, because you're God's kids, start acting that way. Like we're his children. We have this intimate relationship. We're not under the law, the system of works. And if we're trying to to do well, and if we do well, then God is happy with us. And if we fail, then there's punishment. We, through the gospel, have entered into this relationship with the Father, which is beautiful. Verse 7, therefore, you are no longer a slave. We're not slaves anymore, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God, this is beautiful. We've gone from slave to sonship. Consequently, we're heirs uh, that, that we're now entitled to these, these blessings that God has provided. And you might be wondering, well, what, what blessings are available to us? Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul says that we in Christ have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are not lacking in anything. He is reminding these believers in Galatia that they are a part of the family of God. They are in the inside, not on the outside as second-class citizens. The, The Judaizers had come in, and they had said, you all are on the outside because you're not obeying the law. You haven't been circumcised. You're not following the Mosaic law. And therefore, you can't be saved. You can't be right with God. You're second-class citizens at best. And Paul is making the, the case that they have it exactly wrong. That if they're trying to live under the law and go through the whole process of circumcision and go through all the religious things, that they are in fact slaves, that they are the ones that are being kept in custody by the jailer of the law. And there's no reason for the Galatians to think less of their relationship with God because they're not doing any of that stuff. Paul is saying no through the Abrahamic covenant, through this promise that was made, Jesus' work on the cross and your faith in him brings you in to this, this dynamic, this, this wonderful relationship. He goes on to say in verse 8, However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those, by, uh, those which by nature are not gods. He's, saying, he's, he's getting ready to tell them, if you go back, you were slaves. You weren't free. In Christ, you're free You've been set free from the condemnation of sin. You've been set free from this religion of works and trying to earn favor with God. You were slaves. Verse 9, but now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, said now you know God and God knows you. How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles to which you want to be enslaved all over again. You meticulously observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps 
I have labored over you in vain. And as we pick up next week, verses 12 through 20, there's this crying out on Paul's part that, that he's like, why are you going? It's like a parent trying to like reach out and, and snatch their, their kid from the street from getting into trouble or getting hurt. He's saying, why are you doing this? You've come to know God. Why would you go back to these elementary principles, sort of the ABCs of the world or of Judaism, of being under the law? He's like, you have a relationship with God through your faith in Jesus Christ. Why would you step back into slavery? Don't do it. And so the whole so what of this passage. This has been a difficult one for me this week. Um, And when it gets difficult, we have to back up. We have to look at the the overarching theme of this letter. And the context of this letter is you have these young believers who had come to faith in Christ. They were justified. They stood clean before God. They had a relationship Then these Jewish believers who hadn't left the law, they came alongside them and said, you know what, if you want to be right with God, you need to get circumcised, you need to observe the Mosaic law, and unless you do these things, you can't be right with God. And so Paul is showing them the error of their ways of this thinking. He first establishes that he is indeed an apostle of Christ Jesus, He has all of the pedigree of the Jewish background to understand what they are saying. He makes his case in chapter 3 that that before the law came, Abraham was given this wonderful covenant, this, this promise where he would receive children. And this happened before circumcision. This happened before the law. Paul builds the whole case that the law is unable to save or to redeem anyone. It can only show them their need for a Savior. And so the whole purpose of the law is to point people to Jesus and his work on the cross. That the promise is way more powerful than the law. And that they, as children of God, had responded to the gospel in faith And they could be assured that they had a solid relationship with God. And they were being lied to by these Judaizers, trying to say that they could get more out of this relationship or they could get closer to God by observing all of these these rules and regulations. And Paul's saying, don't do that. If you do that, you're going from a sonship, from being an heir, slipping back into slavery. And so don't do this. I think this is something that's so easy for us to do, especially as we enter into a relationship with Christ. Uh, As we sort of get going down the road, it's easy for us to slip back into our old life, to slip back into our old ways. Uh, Grace is one of these things that uh, it's it's hard to measure. It's hard to quantify. And so we want to put sort of checkpoints up in our lives to sort of measure how we're doing. And it seems really wise, but it's a dangerous thing. John Newton, the man who wrote the most 
popular and famous hymn in America, Amazing Grace, he knew how to remember this. He was an only child whose mother died when he was only seven years old. He became a sailor and went out to sea at 11 years old. As he grew up, he became, he became the captain of a slave ship and had an active hand in the horrible degradation and inhumanity of the slave trade. But when he was 23 on March 10th, 1748, we just had the anniversary of this a couple days ago, when his ship was in imminent danger of sinking off the coast of Newfoundland, he cried out to God for mercy and he found it. He never forgot how amazing it was that God had received him as bad as he was. To keep it fresh in his memory, he fastened across the wall over the fireplace mantle of his study the words of Deuteronomy 15.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you. John Gusick on this says, if we keep it fresh in our mind what we once were and what we are now in Jesus Christ, we will do well. It's important for us to remember that our works didn't save us. Our works didn't achieve anything in growing spiritually. It's the work on the cross that saves us. It's the Spirit of God within us and the fruit that He produces in our life that matures us and grows us. It's not about a system of of works so that we can get closer to God. It's about a relationship with Him. And this is something that is so simple, yet as we complicate it. And so my prayer this, this week is, first off, have you received Jesus as your Savior? Have you accepted the gift that has been provided to you through the cross? It's as simple as believing. And for those of us who have believed, Are you walking in grace? Are you yielding your life to him? We need to walk with him day by day. We need to nurture and cultivate our relationship with him. And I'm so grateful that God is a God of grace, that he is so merciful with us. The thought that we have been adopted in as children is is overwhelming. And so my prayer is that each of us would grow in our relationship with him this week. With that, let's close in prayer. Uh, I hope you all have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you when I see you. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We, uh, this it was a difficult passage. And I think it's something that was very hard for me to understand, God, to, to sort of this coming of age. And uh, we haven't had this culture in the United States. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to draw from this illustration of this child um, that you have redeemed. We thank you, God, that uh, we're no longer under the law. We thank you that you've moved us from slavery to sonship. And in this position as sons and daughters, that we become heirs. This is a concept that is so difficult for us to to fathom. I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to truly understand this relationship that we 
have with you that we are your sons and daughters through Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to spend time with you this week each day, that we would spend time in your word, that we would pray with you, uh, that we would engage in this relationship that you have provided to us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Well, have a great week. I look forward to seeing you next time.